the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Dr. Erwin Raphael McManus defines humanity this way. He says, we are a creature whose material is the substance of earth and whose essence is the image of God. If we could leave that on the screen for just saying, I love the way he says that. He's not the only one. It's in the Bible. Uh, I'm sure you've heard this, that we are in the world, but not of the world. Peter tells us to live as aliens and strangers in this world. Jesus said his kingdom was not of this world. Not that it wasn't in the world, but it was not of this world. It's a different kind of a kingdom. C.S. Lewis called us spiritual amphibians, a little bit sarcastically. But I love the way he says it. It encapsulates where we've been the last several weeks where we're looking at the holiness of God and how he he makes that possible in us and what that really means. But this is our essence. We are a creature whose material is the substance of earth, but whose essence is the image of God. And through Jesus, that image can be restored. That broken, twisted image that's still in everybody gets restored to look a lot more like Jesus. Does this sound familiar to anybody? I hope at least the people have been here the last several weeks. This means yes. This means no. Okay, good. And through the whole thing, this is it's through Jesus. John writes, this is he who came by the water and the blood. Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit and the water, and these three agree. Would everybody just go like this, three? All right. I don't know what that means, like peace or something like that with three. But here's what I know for us Christians. There's threes throughout the scriptures. For some reason, God does it. I believe in one way or another, they point back to the Trinity. But there's three days and three nights, and there's three this and there's three that. There's images, and there. Actually, everything in creation, we we experience it in three dimensions. Have you ever noticed that? There's almost all matter can be experienced as either a liquid or a solid or a gas, three different versions of it. Uh, it, 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 he, He puts these clues everywhere. And throughout the scripture, the ones we've been marinating in for the last several weeks is blood, water, and spirit. And every single way that God has saved humanity throughout time, we've looked at this, It's always got those three elements and it's perfectly pointing to Jesus who ultimately fulfilled it. I'd like you to say this this morning. This is where we're really starting. And this, I hope as we wrap up this series today, I hope that we really get this and understand this. Let's say this together. Only Jesus can make us holy. If you're writing this down, if you're taking notes in the Bible study guide, that's the first one you can write. And here's, what, here's how Jesus can make us holy. He's, he's the superlative of holiness. He's the ultimate. And, and in every possible way, and not only just purity and power and all of those ways, but in the core idea of holiness that it's set apart for a specific purpose. He's special. He's unique. He's the only one of his kind. Jesus is the ultimate. We don't use that word superlative a whole lot, but if you've ever seen a high school yearbook, you've probably seen the superlatives page, right? It's like the most likely to succeed and the least likely to succeed and all that. But in in the original languages of the scripture, they didn't really say this and then this er and this est like we do in English. They usually would just repeat the word. So the, the smartest person in the class would be 
Well, I've actually heard people say this a little like this these days. Not a lot, but I've heard it. Well, they'll go, they're smart. No, no, you don't understand. They're smart, smart. No, really. They're smart, smart, smart. You know what I'm saying? Like people will say it like that. It's not as common, but that is how they would do it in the old languages. Or sometimes we'll say, you know, that's dumb. That is dumb, dumb. If you need three dumbs, there's probably music that goes along with it. Like dumb, dumb, dumb. You know what I'm talking about? For example, have you seen those, um, you had one job memes? Like, I just don't get it. Somebody gave that person a job. Like that somehow or another, they, they were... They had the handrail, they had everything they needed, and that's what they came up with. Or how about this, this one? They even had a reference right there. That's kind of dumb, dumb, dumb. But I say that just to say this. When you see holy repeated in the scripture, that's, that's what it's mean. It's, it, it's, people are usually in awe. Angels are in awe. They're, they're, but they're not just stuttering. They're not just going, holy, holy. Holy, they're saying you are the holiest possible. Holy, holy, holy is holy cubed. It's as holy as it possibly can be. There's holy, there's holy, holy, there's holy, holy, holy. Does that make sense? And, and we see that in the tabernacle that we've been walking through over and over. You, you come to God on his terms. The sacrifices, you're forgiven. You're no longer in danger of hell. You're no longer in danger of just being, feeling the wrath of God. So now you're holy. But back then, only the priests could come a little bit closer. I, I, I don't think they actually used the term in the Old Testament. They didn't, but let's just... They're kind of holy, holy at that point. They go through the washing in the basin. Now they can actually approach. And nobody ever gets to the holy, holy, holy spot. But that's what you experience when you're in the presence of God. Because he is as holy as it gets. And what we've been exploring and celebrating and trying to apply to our lives is that somehow or another, that was Jesus's plan is not only can we be forgiven, not only can we be made able to approach God, but his holy, holy, holy spirit comes to live inside of us. And we become the holy places. We become the tabernacles. We become the living water that's flowing throughout the earth. Peter says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. In other words, we're here to interact between God and everybody else and help them come closer to God. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Again, that's what Jesus always does. He calls us out of something and into something else. It's not just, oh, I forgive you for where you've been. Have fun in the darkness. He says, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. Does that sound familiar? This is always Jesus. You used to do this. Now you do this. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Which is why this whole time, the last several weeks, we've used the image of a guardrail as the idea of God's moral boundaries. They're not there to fence us in. They're not there to just keep the bad guys out. There's aspects to that. But the core idea of everything that God's ever taught us, Old Testament and New Testament, is trying to help us get on track and stay on track. To help us get to where he wants us to get in this life and in the life to come. Peter says, as obedient children, 
Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. We're all still made of the substance of earth. We could choose that. Most of us do quite often in some way or another. But he says, don't do that. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. That's what one of the writers in Proverbs was saying when he wrote this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We, we, we can't even approach the holy, holy God until we realize that that's who he is. He's completely unique. Complete. He makes the rules whether we like it or not. And then we can start the process. Oh, I've got to encounter the blood and the water. I, that, somehow I can get in touch with your spirit on your terms. That's awesome. But it starts with knowing just how amazingly huge he is. Prophet Isaiah took a message to the people about uh, all of that stuff we've been walking through over and over about the tabernacle. But this was in a season where they, they were still keeping that going. At least the priests were, the Levites were, but everybody else had pretty much abandoned God. Nobody was doing anything that God had actually asked them to do. They were so far off the map that the only thing still happening that was pleasing God in any way at all was those rituals happening. But they weren't really repenting when they offered their sacrifices. Nothing was changing. And so God sent this message. Isaiah chapter 1. I love this because for some reason, non-Christians do this too, but we're Christians, so we're going to own it for ourselves. We're not going to judge them. Sometimes what we love to do is we have this idea of holiness is just, at least I'm not as bad as them. Right? At least I don't do that. At least I'm not on that side of that issue. At least I don't not do this thing that's so important and needs done. Those people just never get around to it. Do you know what I'm talking about? And so if we get this one thing right, then we're holy. We're good. We're better. We're set apart. We're the ones. Let's go. Back in the Israel days and and even today, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah were one of those people that people like to pick on. Look at that. At least we didn't get smit by God, smitten by God. At least that didn't happen. At least we weren't as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. Now Isaiah knows this and God knows that. So listen how he opens up this message. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Hear, give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. They'd long been wiped out. He's talking to the Israelites, just in case you're missing it. He's calling them that. And then here's the message that he says that God wants them to hear. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, said the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who's required you this trampling of my courts? In other words, God's saying, yeah, you're missing it. This is a symbol. This is how you approach me. 
This is who I am and who you are and who you could be through me. And this is, this is supposed to be about the transformation that I can offer you. You're supposed to be my people. You're supposed to be my holy nation on this earth. These are the priests and the whole nation is the nation. And you're supposed to be spreading this and you're missing the whole thing. You know what? I wish you just quit the ritual. Stop doing this stuff if you don't change it all on the outside. Listen how strong his language is. He says, bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. In other words, if you're just got sin nonstop until you come before me and then you go, go through the motions like you mean it, but you don't. And then you go right back to sin and then you come over here and you pretend. And then you go back. This is who you really are and this is who you pretend to be. When you come before me, I'd rather you just stop coming before me for a little bit until you're real about it. It actually makes me sick. And then he says something really interesting. Because again, we cannot purify ourselves. We cannot be restored. Only through Jesus, and back then, only through this process that pointed to Jesus, could people actually be cleansed. But listen to what he tells them. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. How do they do that? By making some choices that he gives us. And he still gives us those today. He says, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. In other words, stop doing the bad stuff. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. You want me to be impressed? God says, do this stuff. The process of doing it in obedience to me is is the part of this, the only part that we play, the only part of us that we can do to cure. We can't earn ourselves to heaven. We, We cannot just not do bad things and do some good things and seek some things and correct some things enough so that we get saved. That's not an option. That's not possible. But if we are the people of God, are you hearing me? If we are the people of God, if we have been made the people of God by Jesus, if we have encountered the blood and the water and we have the Holy, Holy Spirit inside of us, guess what? We still have a daily choice to make if we're actually going to get the job done. We can't even get on the street, but we have a choice whether we're going to stay within the guardrails or not. We have a choice whether we're just going to camp out in the middle of the road and be proud of ourselves for not jumping the guardrails, or if we're actually going to walk down the street, walk the journey that he's given us to walk. Those are choices that he gives to us. And that's why this is the exact same passage that continues like this. This is much more familiar to everybody, I'm sure. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I love the old hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. When I was a kid, I had no idea how deep the lyrics went, but it encapsulates all this stuff we've been talking about. Would you just sing that first verse with me? 
Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to Merciful and mighty God in three persons, blessed Trinity. That was beautiful. Thank you. So how do we live this way? How do we make sure that when we approach God, even with the ultimate example of the whole thing, Jesus Christ himself and his sacrifice and his death, his burial, resurrection, how we are united with him in that through baptism and through obedience and all the things that we do that he commanded us to do, spreading the gospel throughout the world. How do we actually get that job done? That's pretty simple, really. It's very simple, very similar to what they were saying. I didn't say it was easy. I said it was simple. Earlier I had you do three, just do two right here. Can everybody do this? We must reject all distractions. We must focus on Christ and others. Those are the two. First one, let's say this one together. We must reject all distractions. I don't know about you, but the lies that really fool me are the ones that have a lot of truth in them. They got some evidence. They got some facts. They got some ideas. They're, they're said with conviction because there's some part of the lie that's real. And, and so I go, oh, yeah, that's got to be true. That's got to be true. I, I think the rest of it has to be true. Is that, is that you guys too? And, and most of the things, I'm not going to pretend that all of them, but most of the things that distract me when I get distracted are things that are not so much evil. They're just not as good. It's not bad stuff. It's just kind of a waste of time. And I think that that's something we need to be careful about because I think a lot of times the devil, if he knows he can get us into a really terrible sin and a really bad, bad thing, he will. But if all he has to do is distract us and we're just not walking that road, if he can't get us to jump the guardrails, but he can get us to camp out in the middle of the street, that's fine. That's all right with him, as long as we don't actually get where God wants us to go, as long as we don't actually do what he wants us to do. Peter writes, according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, since beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or dimmit. I, I can't talk this morning. Let me try this again. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. I'm going to say it one more time. The biblical concept of peace in Greek, it's irene. In the Old Testament, it's in Hebrew, it's shalom. It's so much bigger than a feeling of peace. It's so much bigger than just a a peaceful, easy feeling. Thank you. Somebody got the Eagles reference. Let's go. 
But what it is, it's, it's, a, it's a sense of unity. It's a sense of peace that's like, this is how it should be. Something just got restored. Things are put back together the way they should. The whole team's actually working together this time. We're all on the same team. We're all going down the same road. We got everybody back inside of the guardrails and we're actually moving together. Wow, that's peace. Things are back how they should be. We have reunited. We are getting that image of God that's inside of us is getting put back together. Whatever distracts us from that, we need to reject. Maybe that's something that's messing with you. You're just so upset about somebody else in your family or your church or wherever else. I don't know what it is. It's not as important as this. Maybe, maybe you're really into some hobby that's a really good, wholesome hobby, like sports or something. It's not bad. But if all you ever get done is that and you never get around to the things of God, I'm just saying, figure it out. Second thing is we got to focus on Christ and others. We, we don't get stuff done just by not doing bad stuff. We get stuff done by actually doing good stuff. We've got to focus. We've got to make that happen. And if we're going to experience holiness and a full, not, full life that God has for us, we've got to do whatever it takes. Three things that I know just always work, and so I'm going to throw these out. There's so many more. There's so many spiritual disciplines that work. There's so many other things. We could spend weeks and weeks going through these, but I just want to give you three. Hear that three again? Everybody go three. Here's three things. Prayer fasting, serving others. If you're writing stuff down, that's the three blanks right there. Focus on Christ by prayer, fasting, serving others. Everybody say this with me. Prayer, fasting, serving others. Prayer is just talking to God. Fasting is you stop doing something, usually eating or drinking something, but you stop doing something that you do over and over and over again. And you use that time, that money, that emotion, that whatever else, You say, well, I just don't have anything else to get. Well, stop giving it to that thing for a second. You stop your subscription. You you cancel TV. You cancel uh, Netflix or something. You you stop eating lunch. Whatever it is. Many of you I know come from a tradition. uh, There's several different churches that you guys have came here from that uh, practice Lent. And you probably know way better than I do that uh, Ash Wednesday is this coming Wednesday here at Morrison Hill. We, we don't see that in the scripture verbatim, but let me tell you something. Any excuse you've got to pray and fast and serve others and give to others more in, intentionally is a good idea. We, 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 you're not gonna hear us like, what are you doing for Lent? We're not gonna, we're not gonna breathe down your neck about it. But I'm telling you, this is a great season. As we work our way toward remembering the resurrection of Jesus, as we're walking our way toward that, I'm going to be doing some stuff. Not because I'm switching churches or uh, that I agree with anything or everything or anything. It's got nothing to do with that. It's every single time we pray and fast and serve others with intention, we get realigned with Jesus. When we reject distractions and we focus on doing the right thing, something changes inside of us. And I would like to encourage every single one of you to do that in some way 
or another. You don't have to fast for 40 days. You don't have to do something super extreme. But if you say it with me one more time, pray, fast, serve. Ready? Pray, fast, serve. Figure out some way to do those three things. Whether you do it formally and you call it Lent or you, you do it informally and you do it for three weeks and then or you do it one day and then another day. The next, I, I don't care. But if you can pray and fast and serve somehow, you're going to reject some of those lies and distractions and you're going to refocus on Jesus and something's going to change. And guess what? You're going to find yourself several more steps down that path. Instead of the struggle being, please help me not jump the guardrails, it's going to be like, please help me get another hundred yards down the right path. That's a completely different way to live. That's what holiness looks like. Does this make sense? Somebody came to Jesus. Here's where we're going to wrap up is with this story. Hopefully it's familiar. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is a very famous passage, very famous prayer that they would say over and over. It's known as the Shema, which means hear, but it's more than hear. It means hear like when your mom is yelling at you and says, you better listen to me. You know what I mean? It's that kind of listen. She doesn't just want you to listen. She wants you to do it. Right? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then Jesus adds this in. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. See what he's doing there? This guy's a Bible expert. And he's quoting Isaiah to Jesus. Where God says, hey, no, what I really want is for you to actually do the stuff I told you to do. And when Jesus saw that he'd answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. I've got three questions for you. Big surprise, right? Three Whatever you need to do this morning to make sure that you are encountering Jesus, I want want you to make sure that you do that. I'm asking you, how are you going to do that? You need to figure that out. Maybe it's just a quick prayer. God, thank you. You're, You're everything to me and everything's so great between us and everything's wonderful. Maybe all you need to say is thank you. Maybe on the far end of that, you've never given your life to Jesus in the first place. You've never surrendered him. You've never repented. You've never gotten baptized. You've never taken the steps that he told us to take to get closer to him. I, I don't know what he's telling you, but I ask you to do that this morning. And then you need to ask yourself these two questions. How am I going to reject distractions? How am I going to focus on Jesus this week and in the weeks to come? When we've got some Jesus-fueled answers to those questions, you can start them today. If you need to make it public, you can come up here, private back there. 
Just stay where you are if it's just between you and God. But let's make some choices like that this morning. Because we're called, brothers and sisters, to live holy lives. Holy lives. That means we are set apart. We have a purpose. We're here to get something done. We are preparing the way for Jesus. And if we just settle for trying not to sin or trying to do a couple good things once in a while, we are missing everything that he died and rose for. We're missing the whole thing. We've got to live holy lives. We've got to be the holy places. We've got to be the streams of living water in this world. Whatever you need to do to make that happen even more than ever today, do that as we stand and sing.